This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, April 29th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village rejects bid for VCA expansion, a day in the life of a miner with Fintan Coal, coffee croissants and cribbage, and a mountain weather forecast. Mountain Village is planning to increase affordable housing with an expansion of the Village Court Apartments. Phase 4 of VCA is anticipated to be two buildings consisting of 42 units that will obviously provide uh, more options for our residents. The product, as proposed, would consist of studios to up to three bedrooms. That's Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser. But this week, Mountain Village Town Council took a pause when it rejected a bid for construction on the development. I moved to decline the bid <laughs> given to us by ProSat for VCA Phase 4. Second. Earlier this year, the town of Mountain Village issued a request for proposals for a contractor to build the units. However, only one bid came in, with a cost at nearly $23 million. During Mountain Village's town council meeting this week, Weiser spoke to his concerns at the cost. VCA needs to have the revenues that are generated from the units that are there uh, pay the debt service, and uh, we have real concern that that's a possibility at $23 million, even with uh, some additional financial outside assistance. Council member Dan Caton adds it's never ideal to have just one bid. Especially one that's so expensive. And we want to maintain VCA as a low-cost rental opportunity. And, I mean, for us to actually make this work, we'd have to charge, like, market rates, probably. And we don't want to do that. Despite unanimous rejection of the bid, council notes they want to move forward with the development, asking staff to pursue different options for finance and construction. Here's Weiser. I think it's a combination of reaching out again to uh, the construction community, understanding that everybody is very busy and it is very expensive to do any kind of work at the moment. It also means that the General Assembly is in session right now and there are bills going through the legislature as we speak that may provide alternative financing mechanisms that we could access depending on whether or not the legislature ultimately approves uh, those proposed bills. And I think that there, internally we've had some discussions about some other financing proposals. Looking at those different options, the town still hopes to begin initial work on the expansion this fall, with construction on the units beginning next spring. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. The Telluride School District is back for its final quarter after spring break, and in the sports world, it's all lacrosse and soccer. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole brings the latest. Have a listen. This is Finton Cole in your sports update. Boys Varsity Lacrosse won against the Durango Demons 7-3, but my team got shut out 6-0. It was a hard loss, as I had never been shut out before. But we played Montrose and won 8-2. I, as a midfielder, was all over the Montrose attack running for a loose ball. I got an interception in the Montrose scoring end and also executed 12 picks, the most I have ever set. 
Then we hit the highway and faced the Grand Junction Tigers. We won by a score of 4-1. to one. I set nine picks and scooped up a loose ball. That ball flew out of my stick and on the field. Girls Varsity Lacrosse won against the Montrose Indians 11-2, but lost against the Durango Demons 8-7. They had a home game against the Frida Wildcats and sadly lost by a score of 12-9. They played the Holy Family Tigers and the Dawson Mustangs in hopes to send their record upward to make the regional tournament. Girls Varsity Soccer won against the Ridgeway Demons 8-1 and continued to be first in the 2A Southwest High School Soccer Association. They are expected to travel to Delta and play the Panthers, stop by Ignacio and take on the Bobcats, swing by Crested Butte to play the Titans, and then fly home to wrestle with the Del Norte Tigers. Good luck, girls, and we hope you win. That was it for your sports updates for this week. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. for two and then I have 15 for four. Sitting at a card table covered in a colorful tablecloth, Lauren De Mercado and Miranda Beck are playing cribbage. Four. Mm. Seven. It's a great game of uh, statistics and strategy. Cribbage, a card game dating back to the early 17th century, charges two players with playing a series of hands, scoring points by adding cards up to 15, finding pairs, and runs. At four tables in the program room of the Wilkinson Public Library, eight members of the community are playing. In the corner of the room are coffee and croissants. I just felt like we needed more opportunities in this town to meet other people, especially during the last couple of years with COVID, you know, I think people weren't um, in a space where they could engage with other community members in a different way that wasn't a bar scene. Um, so I figured, let's try, let's try a morning program. Let's, you know, bring in some coffee and croissants and community <laughs> over cribbage. Jill Wilson is the public services manager at the library. Coffee, croissants, and cribbage is her brainchild. And it's been really cool to see different people engaging and meeting other community members that you wouldn't necessarily get to chat with. Wilson is playing with Bill Wentz. He comes equipped not only to play cribbage, but a brain full of jokes for the occasion. Old timer, he goes to the doctor, he says, Doc, I got the shakes. And the doctor says, do you drink a lot of coffee? He says, no, I, I spill most of it. Is that all right? Next to Wilson and Wentz, Mary Higgins and Percy Verdokas are playing for the first time. I'm so confused. There's so many rules. If the start card is a jack called two for his heels, the dealer automatically pegs two, scores two points. Slowly but surely they catch on. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay, um, so I have eight. No, I don't have. I have seven, eight, nine. So I have that run. And then 15 with... Nine seven no eight no? seven eight seven thank yeah. you um, and that's it so you have fifteen two and a run for three makes five okay okay and of course there's <laughs> joy in the moments where players add cards and collect points through a process okay. called pegging peg me right four on the board <laughs> four on the board peg it <laughs> I love this game <laughs> um, I'm gonna just do nine. 
back at Beck and Mercado's table. How are we doing over here? <laughs> I'm doing great. Oh, are you? <laughs> She's only about 10, 15 ahead of me, so I could easily catch up this round with all the fives I'm dealing to myself right now. <laughs> Beck learned how to play cribbage during COVID lockdown. The Mercado's been playing for almost 10 years. I love cribbage because it's just so wholesome and fun and I've gotten better at math because of it and it's something you can do with anyone, with older people, younger people, multi-generational, cross-generational, it's uniting. Although a wholesome element doesn't keep players from getting competitive. Give me a crib, girl. Try to make something out of that. I will. I'm going to put that, I'm going to combine it with mine and it's going to be really good. Soon DeMarcado finishes the game with the exact correct number of points. Oh my god! 15, 2, 4, 6, 3 of a kind is 12. I think that's it. (laughs) For the win! Coffee, croissants, and cribbage is done for the morning, but don't you worry. It will be back next month with more caffeine, carbs, and wholesome competition. 27. The San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation is looking to identify and address gaps in service for older adults and those with disabilities. To get a better understanding of where the gaps are, SMART is holding a number of community meetings. The transit body will hold listening sessions on May 10th in Natarita at the Natarita Community Center at 11.30 a.m. and in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library at 1.30 p.m., also on the 10th. There will be meetings in Placerville at the Schoolhouse at 11.30 a.m. on May 11th and at Mountain Village Town Hall at 5.30 p.m. on May 10th and 1.30 p.m. on May 11th. Spanish interpretation will be provided. The Blue Mesa Reservoir is the largest body of water in the state of Colorado, but hydrologists say this year's spring runoff will fill the reservoir only halfway. Climate change has led to increased temperatures and less snowpack. That means less runoff into the Colorado River and reservoirs like Blue Mesa. The Colorado River Water Conservancy District estimates the Blue Mesa Reservoir might fill to a peak of 400,000 acre-feet. The Colorado State Senate has passed a bill to make oil and gas companies start paying fees to help clean up abandoned wells. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, lawmakers are expecting it to raise $10 million next year. There are more than 400 so-called orphaned wells that need to be plugged, according to the state's oil and gas regulators. And there are thousands more producing so little that companies could abandon them soon. Several residents are asking lawmakers to speed up the cleanup process, saying the unused wells are leaking methane and putting nearby homes at risk. A retired software engineer in Windsor testified this month that he has so many abandoned wells near his house His daughter and granddaughter are hesitant to visit due to health concerns. The legislation to create the new cleanup program is heading to the House with bipartisan support. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. It's hard not to notice the large number of dogs roaming the rural region of the Navajo Nation. It's long been a problem. Those animals can carry disease. They also live a harsh life. 
KZMU's Justin Higginbottom visited a pop-up animal clinic on the reservation trying to help. He reports on the changing culture around dog ownership in the area. The Sweetwater Chapter House is found well off the highway, down a few miles of dirt roads on the Navajo Nation in northern Arizona. Today, there's about a dozen idling vehicles there. They stretch to the entrance, mostly trucks with dogs and owners sitting in the beds. According to Katie Gallette of Underdog Animal Rescue and Rehab... No, this is, this is light. This is light, wow. Yesterday was, in fact, we were spaying and neutering until 11.30 last night. Yeah, this is, this is a slow day. Her nonprofit is based in Moab, but volunteers make trips to the Navajo Nation monthly. They do tick treatments and deworming, minor wound care. And we typically do about 225 spays and neuters each of our weekends. And then we do an additional maybe six to 800 vaccines. Galette approaches Jack, a timid puppy in a cage in the back of a truck. Hi, Jack. Hi, big guy. What's going on? He's what? Bite you. Bite you. Well, he better not. Yeah, walk up. <laughs> Is he a biter? Do we need a muzzle? I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. <laughs> she gives Jack his vaccinations and the scruff of his neck. No complaints from Jack, who is a good boy. There's an estimated 250,000 strays in this large rural area, about the size of West Virginia. Although Gallette thinks that number is closer to 500,000. The problem has likely become worse since the pandemic. Animal shelters shut and the few public services available were cut. Chantel Wadsworth is one of the volunteers today. She also runs Res Road Rescue and has a van filled with her own dogs, who are quite excited at this line of new friends. We did van life on the reservation for about two years. Yeah, so that's how we got into dog rescue. We were just traveling around the res and you see res stray dogs everywhere. <laughs> so her partner and her decided to put their van to use. They collected strays and brought pets to clinics. Wadsworth is from the Navajo Nation. She says things are changing. So just within the, I think the past, I'm gonna say five years, it's improved a whole lot. There's a lot more resources now than there was. So I feel like now that the word's getting out, people are starting to figure out like, wow, there's you know, rescues that we can go to for help and things like that. This is Tonin Mitchell's first time at the clinic. He's from Sweetwater. Oh, this is Cole, Chubbs, Mitchie. Uh, Stonies and areas of the Chihuahua. His kids are helping to handle their dogs as they get their shots. We got vaccines, rabies vaccines, uh, parvo, just temperament, just for the dogs. <laughs> yeah, not the kids. <laughs> yeah, not the kids yet. He says a clinic like this is helpful for his family. You know, because it's kind of hard for us to let alone get our animals in a vehicle, let alone driving 200 miles to get your animals vaccinated. Here's Galette again. So access is very difficult. You probably noticed the roads you came in on with gas at $5 a gallon and 40% of the population living below the poverty line. It's, it's very challenging for people to make it to like one of the Navajo Nation clinics where their starting price is about $100 for a dog neuter. She says there's only two vets on the entire reservation. Her clinics are constantly sold out. It's not we've discovered at all a lack of wanting to do the right thing. It's a matter of access, you know, and, and finances. The issues of strays and disease isn't just sad, it's dangerous. 
The Indian Health Service treats around 3,000 people each year from dog bites. Last year, a 13-year-old girl was mauled to death by a pack of feral dogs while walking on the reservation. She was the fifth killed by dogs on the Navajo Nation since 2010. But Gillette also says there's a cultural shift happening. And, and definitely, generationally, the attitude toward dogs is changing. There are, I, I started working on the res with animals about 13 or 14 years ago. And even in that short amount of time, dramatic change in what we're seeing. Dogs have long been an important part of traditional Navajo life, but they were mostly working dogs, well cared for, but bonding with sheep, not so much humans. But as far as pets, we're seeing so many more dogs that live in houses. I was commenting to staff yesterday that I look around and the number of crates I see in the back of trucks instead of just loose dogs. That may partially explain why she gets calls regularly from people who have an unwanted dog, instead of just dumping the animals on the side of the road. On the way to find the Sweetwater Chapter House, Galette was guided by a local who happened to have his own dog in the car. And I said, you've been so helpful, thank you so much. If you need to get shots or anything like that, come on by, I'll do them for free for you. And he's like, nope, my dog's neutered and he's all up to date on vaccines. And She says that would have been very rare 15 years ago. But Galette says there's a lot of work to be done. She's hoping to add a mobile clinic soon. And the Navajo Nation recently passed a law that penalizes those with dangerous animals. It's waiting for Reservation President Jonathan Nez's signature. Justin Higginbottom, Rocky Mountain Community Radio. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 25 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night. The high is in the mid-50s with a low around freezing. Sunday, expect mostly sunny skies with a high around 55 degrees. Sunday night, there is a chance of rain and snow showers with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 30. Winds could gust as high as 40 miles per hour. This has been the news for Friday, April 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.